0: Father in heaven again, to you to gather together as believers and to to sing praises to your name. And Father, for those of us who know you and understand the the beauty and the importance of having our sins forgiven and being free from that prison, Father, we're able to sing that last song with great joy and great vigor. Father, we pray that we will be able to maintain that thought as we live our lives each week, seeking to live for you. That we'd be able to really enjoy the relationship we have with you, the freedom we have in Christ, and the life that you've given us here. Father, as we continue our study, how we ask that you would guide and direct us. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. I'm only going to read that because we are going to read through the rest of the chapter um, throughout the message. Uh, But this is going to provide for us the key of what it is we're going to be looking at um, this morning. So verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 14. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So what we're going to see this morning is remember primarily as Paul deals with spiritual gifts... So the general context is spiritual gifts beginning in chapter 12. And of course, in chapter 14, the primary theme is the gift of tongues. And the reason why he is emphasizing tongues is because it is both misunderstood and it has been misused. So even, uh, so, as we work our way through this, so even if you are in a discussion with an individual, and let's say you both agree on, in general, what tongues are to be, it still needs to be and must be exercised in a particular way. These are the rules that God has given to us, or the guidelines that God has given to us. Very similar, I guess you would say, uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts. There's another spiritual gift which has a few rules with it, not many, uh, and that is those who have the gift of preaching, in particular individuals who are pastors. We know that if you look at the arguments that Paul makes, which is grounded on what took place in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God states categorically that only men are to preach in a church. Only men are to be pastors. So you have a spiritual gift, and there's, there are certain rules with it, guidelines that God has given. You can disagree all you want, um, but you're disagreeing with God. You disagree with the Word of God, with Scripture. It doesn't matter what tradition is. If tradition is in agreement with Scripture, then, then that's great. Uh, but the bottom line is, is we must follow what it says, whether we like it or not. So that when it comes to tongues, again, because of the buried understandings and all of the problems they're having in Corinth, which, again, as we know, is not isolated to that city alone when it comes to the spiritual gift, uh, but continues all the way to this day, we want to make sure that we have a good grasp of what it is that Paul's getting at. And this is the overall theme. We'll just see it over and over again. And that is this. When it comes to the use of spiritual gifts, and in particular, the gift of tongues, what Paul emphasizes that must be the guiding principle is that everyone understands. That's it. Everyone understands the words that are being said. Everyone understands what is being communicated. There's just no way to get around that. So no matter what the individual's argument is about the use of tongues, if that criteria is not being met, then it doesn't matter. Whatever it is it has to stop because it's not following what the scripture says. So once again, he makes that clear in verse 6 when he asks the question, this is why he, he raises the question, if I come speaking in tongues, if I come speaking in four languages, how will it benefit you? How will it benefit you? And he's basically saying it's not going to unless he's bringing revelation from God Knowledge concerning God, prophecy, or knowledge. So, verse seven. He now is going to illustrate and continue to re-emphasize his point. So he says in verse seven, if even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? All right. So the bottom line is that when it comes to musical instruments. I don't know about you, but I want to know what's being played, even if I don't know the song. If you don't agree with me, listen to beginning students play clarinets, <laughs> flutes, and trumpets. No matter how proud you are of your kid or grandkid, you want them in a soundproof room, or you want to be in a soundproof room. And that would even include the violin, because that can be atrocious as well. But the idea is, is that for us to be able to enjoy, even if it's played poorly, There has to be a distinction in the notes. One has to be higher than the other. One has to be lower than the other. They have to go together. In other words, anything other than that becomes just noise. And so he's just asking a very simple question based on the experience of life. Because what's important is to know what's being played. We want to know what's being played. Verse 8, he continues. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound who would get ready for battle. In those days, the bugle was really very important. You didn't have two-way radios. And if you had your scouts watching for the enemy coming and the enemy begins to approach, whether it was drums or, in a sense, uh, the bugle, the bug- there are certain notes that are being played that lets you know that it's time to get ready because the enemy is coming. Or perhaps the bugle will play a different tune and that it's time to eat. You need to know the difference. Because if the enemy's coming, you don't want to show up to battle with a fork and spoon. Right? Things aren't going to go well. Alright? So he's just, again, asking a very common question. He's, and he's not doing it to talk down to him. He's just getting on a very practical level and says, look, I know you understand this. Because he wants them to recognize, I believe, at least in part, that when it comes to God, understanding God, experiencing God this is not only for a select few. This is not only for certain people who have certain giftedness. This is for everyone. It's for the common man. And so he uses these things to kind of bring them back to reality, kind of bring them back to the here and now, and say, just take a moment, take a breath. I know you know this to be true. And God never contradicts logic. Remember, logic comes from God. God basically invented logic. It communicates us, communicates to us in logic. He's given to all of us the ability to understand logic. Sometimes we don't like it when our children begin to learn how to think logically because they catch us in the old excuses we used to give as to why we couldn't do certain things. And we don't like that. Right? But, we, but we're also at the same time proud of them that they can think for themselves. Verse 9. So, with yourselves... If your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? So he gives a very real illustration here, a very real situation. So if somebody comes and they're speaking a language, and whether you want to say that this is the actual real spiritual gift or the babbling, it doesn't matter. We'll just take it any way you want to take it. The question still remains. If it's not intelligible, meaning that no one understands it. So he's not saying that it's necessarily, if it's not logical or it's not rational, he's not dealing with that. He's dealing with the actual understanding of the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's a big deal with Paul, right? Remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would all agree, must be intelligible. When we heard the gospel and when we, what, understood it, we believed in Christ. We understood who Jesus was. Jesus, the perfect God-man, came to earth, lived as a human being, lived a sinless life. All of that makes sense to us. We understand the words. He then willingly allowed himself to be arrested because this was why he came, which was to die. He then went through those mock trials, and he was tortured, and he was then placed on a cross. That <laughs> makes sense to us. We may not like it, Um, But the idea is, is that we understand what's being communicated. Then what is explained again is that Jesus was being punished not for his sin. He had no sin to be punished for. He was being punished for our sin. God was actually pouring out his wrath on Jesus, punishing him for the things we have done and said. And then Jesus died. And we understand that he actually died. He didn't faint. He died. And then he was buried, and he was buried in a tomb. Again, we, we understand that. The average individual, whether, whatever language you're speaking, <laughs> when it's communicated, that's what's communicated. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. People clearly understand that, because either they believe it or they mock it. But no one is mocking something they don't understand. They don't know what that means. And we believe that. So Paul's emphasis here, again, is that whole aspect. When it comes to the exercise of spiritual gifts, and again, in particular, this, what is important to Paul is that what is being said, what is being communicated, is understandable. And he gives them the the rhetorical question, which would be on everyone's lips, and that is, if it's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? That really bothers Paul. He he does not want people in the church to not understand, believer or non-believer, to understand what's being said. Again, he's he's asking the question, how will it benefit you? How will anyone know? Who will get ready for battle? How will anyone know what is said? He continues to bring up those questions because it's important. It's what is most important. Everything else pales by comparison. In fact, he throws out there that if you are speaking, let's say in a language, and it's not intelligible, you will be speaking into the air. The idea behind that is where's the prophet in that? You're not not communicating to anyone. Just in the air. In fact, not to God, not to men, not to yourself. You're just speaking in the air. Sometimes you may drive to go to a certain place in Savannah and you will come across a a, a, a few times, which is very sad, an individual who's on the street who is clearly either on drugs or something has happened, and they are going through all kinds of physical gyrations and oftentimes speaking to no one. There's no one around. And, of course, we always have to double-check because they might have one of those things in their ear. You never really know anymore, but uh, but it becomes pretty clear that they're just speaking into the air. And when we see individuals doing that, we we think they're in trouble. Something is wrong somewhere. Because that's an absolute, just that's a waste. That's an indication something is wrong with the person. And so that's what Paul simply points out. Then Paul, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, he's going to make some distinctions here. He says in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. So he's not denying that there are, and there are, there's thousands of languages. In fact, sometimes in some countries there are uh, not only are there many many different dialects, but sometimes those dialects are so different they they almost can count as a different language. And I've heard of individuals who've been missionaries in India talk about the many different dialects because there's there's I think you now this is way back from from a class I took back in the in the 1970s. Uh, so the number may be more now, maybe a little less depending on on investigations, but at that time, there were about 600 different dialects in India, and it was absolutely possible for a, a person born in India who spoke Hindi, let's say lived in North India, would move to South in India, and it would have no clue what they're saying. Now, in America, we have some people who move from Chicago down here, and they don't know what we're saying either, but we are speaking the exact same language, and after a while, they kind of get used to it, and then we may like the way, like, you know, it always happens to somebody from Boston. We want them to say car. You know, because we like how that sounds. You get that R in there, or whatever, whatever the sound is. But, but we're all speaking the same language. But in these other countries, that's not what's taking place. And so Paul is admitting that there are many different languages. But what does he say? None is without meaning. meaning. Simply, none of them are gibberish. They're all able to communicate. Every single one of them. They're able to communicate. When missionaries would go throughout the world, why would they take the time to learn another language? So they could communicate to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the words in that language had meaning. And they understood that. So we need to understand what these words are, what they mean, so we can communicate. That's all that Paul's getting at. This is not complicated. Too often what happens is, is when it comes to, and this is kind of a hermeneutic thing. When it comes to hermeneutics, the the way that you interpret scripture. And we've said this before. Remember that context is very important. You can look up in the Greek dictionary what different words mean. And that's good. But the context is what's going to determine what's being said, what's being communicated. And there are, and there's two aspects of that, at least two aspects. One is the immediate context, like what's going on in the immediate, in that paragraph, what, what, what did Paul, for example, we're talking about Paul, what did he just say, what is he going to say, that kind of helps with the context. But there's also the general context, and that general context may be, well, what is the, what's, what is the theme of the chapter? Sometimes what is the theme of, of several chapters, or what is the theme of the book? And all of those things kind of go hand in helping us to be able to understand what is being said and what is not being said. So then when it comes into evaluating our understanding of a verse, it has to jive with all of those things. All right? It has to jive with all of those things. Because normally what we say is if it doesn't jive with all those things, even the average individual would say, Well, wait a minute, that, that man, that doesn't follow. What do you mean when you say that doesn't follow? Well, you're, you're, you are already thinking logically. It's what we do naturally. And we say a flow of argument, or at least a flow of thought. And then when it comes to a certain point, all of a sudden the person goes over here. You're like, no, no, it, it, it can't be that. I'm not really sure what he's getting at, but that can't be right because that's not following. So that's, so again, that's how we are to approach the Bible. Some people think, and some people said this, that the Bible is a spiritual book. It is. But what they mean by that at times is that it's almost as if you put logic to the side. And that's that's not how God communicates. Remember that God has spoken in complete sentences and paragraphs. And he should be understood that way. Language came from God. Remember, he was the one who spoke first. He has used language to judge mankind. And men were divided the Tower of Babylon and they speaking different languages. But again, as Paul points out, All those languages had what? Meaning. And then people who understood each other could group off together. So that's all that he's saying. All this as he deals with this spiritual gift of speaking in languages. These are primary concerns, foundational truths, that must not be abandoned or laid aside, but we must remain, in a sense, intact as we move forward. So again, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. Verse 10... And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now when Paul says that, that's a bad thing. This is an uncomfortable thing. You don't want to be the foreigner because you don't what? You don't know the meaning. You don't know what's being said. And again, it can be at times depending on who you're with, disconcerting. I told you that before when, when we were uh, bombing, is uh, it Kuwait, trying to free them, I was in Mauritius and I'm in the middle of a Muslim neighborhood attending a Muslim wedding feast. I did not understand what anybody was saying. I didn't know if they heard any reports or not about what was going on. And remember that's when I told Gary, Whatever you do, bud, do not ask for ice. That's a dead giveaway. We're Americans. Today, we're just two white guys <laughs> hitting in a Muslim feast. That's all we are. And if they assume we're from the UK, that's fine with me. Right, but the bottom line is, is that when you don't know what's being said, you, you begin to wonder sometimes, especially in that kind of circumstance. If we weren't bombing, I, I wouldn't have been bothered. But I was, you know, kind of aware of my surroundings <laughs> when that was taking place. And so that's all that Paul's getting at. And again, so it's a bad thing to be the individual who doesn't know what's going on. You are what? Out of place. Verse 12. And now he's applying it back to them. He says, so with yourselves. Since you, and he's speaking to the church, are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Now that, that's a good thing. In other words, what that means is, is as a church, they want to see spiritual gifts being exercised. They want to see individuals who have the gift of preaching, preaching. They want to see those who have the gift of mercy showing mercy. They want to have those who have the gift of giving, giving. And they want those who have the gift of tongues to be speaking in tongues. So this church wants all of that. So That's a good thing. So since you're eager for this, he's going to add a caveat to kind of guide them along the way, because they've lost their way in all of this, which is why he's writing this letter to them. Strive to excel in building up the church. He only means one thing by that, because he's been hounding on that in all these previous verses. There needs to be what? Understanding. If if you don't understand, then it doesn't matter if there's revelation. You won't get it. It doesn't matter if there's knowledge. you You won't learn it. It doesn't matter if there's prophecy. You won't be warned, because you don't understand what's taking place. The way the church is built is always the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Word of God. It is always whatever language that we primarily speak. And the idea is for us to explain things in words and in language that we understand so we can learn about God, about ourselves, about how life works. That's what, he gets, what he's getting at. So again, if the exercise of the gift is not building up the church, again, as opposed to, as some people will say, well, you know, I'm using that gift to build up myself. That's, just, that's not a biblical concept. Right? That's, just, that's not in the Bible anywhere. And so we need to abandon that because it's a bad thing. Right? God has designed us and wants us individually you know, on a human level to live in community. And he definitely wants his people to live in community where we are interacting with each other so that we can encourage each other, depend upon each other, help each other, receive help from each other. All those different types of things. So what we are to strive for as a body, regardless of your gift, what we are to strive for, what all of us are to be on the same page about, is building up the church. We want people to grow in the grace and the joy of of Jesus himself. We want people to to continue to mature, to understand. We want them to, again, to, to be happy about life and about Christ and about the future want them to be strong, to be encouraged so they don't lose heart regardless of what's going on in their lives because some go through great difficulties or we, maybe we all go through some difficulty at some point. But the idea is that we all continue to move forward in that sense. So verse 13 begins with the word therefore. And you've heard people talk about that before but he, basically based on what he said because all this is true therefore here is the bottom line. One who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Now, I'll be honest. I don't know if an individual who speaks in tongue in, in a tongue can interpret their own tongue. I don't know if that's possible because when I read through the scriptures, he continues to mention about someone speaking in tongues and someone else interpreting. That seems to be the norm. But maybe Paul's just dealing with this One issue, and he's speaking in this way because of the point he wants to make. And so he says, because what's most important is this. What's most important is that others what? Understand. So what's interesting, I think, is that um, he's, again, emphasizing, no matter who that individual is, that others around them need to understand. Because spiritual giftedness is always about others. I mean, it is about whatever gifts we may have. But it's always about others, exercising our gifts for the benefit of others. So, if someone does speak in a tongue, they should pray for the power to interpret the tongue. Verse 14. Then he says, For if I pray in a tongue. So now, there are those who do want to say that there is a, that the gift of tongues is for prayer, like it's a private prayer language. Again, that. It's not the Bible. There's no, there's no such thing as a private prayer language. The only thing associated with being private in prayer is when Jesus teaches about you going into your closet and praying. So there's privateness with that. Um, so this idea that we have a private prayer language is unknown in the scripture. There's just, it's not hinted at anywhere. But Paul does say that if he's praying in a tongue and a language, he makes this statement. My spirit prays, but... My mind is unfruitful. So now we have to stop for a moment to ask yourself a question or some questions because we don't want to assume certain things. Because one can read through that quickly and immediately assume that, oh yeah, well, you know, I, I don't understand what I'm saying, but, but I know that I'm praying in the spirit. And you're saying it like that's a good thing. Well, look at that again. What does it mean to be unfruitful? You don't understand. Your ignorance. What has Paul been hounding all the previous verses? Over and over and over again. How will they know? How will they prepare? How will they understand? This would violate that. So this is not a comparison between something that is um, good and something that is not so good. I think it's something that is, um, he's just explaining something that is wrong. In other words if you pray in a tongue your spirit prays or you can be praying spiritually whatever that might mean he isn't define it he says but my mind is unfruitful and that is always a negative it's always a negative so even for the individual who says they pray in a private prayer language and they pray in tongues and I've asked many people this you know so do you understand what you're what you're praying and they so far and I don't know how many people I've asked it's, it's a it's quite a few but every single one of them, every single one of them has always said no. And I've always asked them, then how do you know when God answers your prayer? You don't know. And they say, well, I, I accept it by faith. I go, what good is that if you have no clue what's going on in the world that was in response to your prayer? You, how, how, can that, how can you take it on faith when you, have, you don't even know what arena you're praying concerning? it doesn't make any sense. And that's important that it doesn't make any sense because Paul clearly wants it all to make sense to every single person. And so when he says here, my mind is unfruitful, that's not a good way to pray. Verse 15. Well, what am I to do? All right? So now in response to verse 14, what how do you handle that? And Paul says this, I will pray with my spirit But I will pray with my mind also. So you you do not abandon the mind. When we pray, when we are, even if you want to use the phrasing in the spirit, you never abandon the mind. That's what he's saying. I will pray with my mind. That is key. That is important. Why? Well, because he's just been emphasizing the understanding let's say that that you are you have a child and your child you've been doing your best to teach your child the gospel and they're they're now age 12 and uh, you're thinking you know they they're asking good questions about the Bible I, I think they might be saved we're gonna go talk to, to, to Bob so I'm talking to your child and you're in the room and I ask them various different questions and then I say well, if you, if you were to die, that would you know, be a very sad day if you die, but if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And your child says, oh, yes. And I was to say, well, how do you know? Oh, I just feel like I would go. Okay, well, let's investigate that a little further. Why, why do you think you feel that way? I, I don't know. I just, I can feel it here. And let's say that I ask them a few more questions and we never get beyond that. You might be shocked if I said, oh, yeah, they're a Christian. No one knows. Either they're unable to articulate what they know or, or they don't know Christ because what we're looking at is what? Understanding. I'm not looking for a treatise on the doctrines of salvation based on the book of Matthew and compare it to the book of Galatians. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for a basic understanding of them to tell me that they know they're going to go to heaven because they believe what Jesus said and they believe what Jesus did. And I would say, well, what did Jesus do? And they would explain it to me. And if that individual believes that, we know the gospel is very simple in that sense. They believe that and they say, I've, I've asked Jesus to forgive me my sins and I know that he does because we, all, we go through all that, then we would say, wow, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, looks like they, they've got a good understanding of the gospel. I think, I think they know Christ. We need to continue to pray for them and to disciple them and, and, and move towards, towards your child being, being baptized, not in a hurry, but we wanna make sure they understand it. If you, talk to, if you had a best friend, and your best friend suddenly was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and your friend has never gone to any church, and you're concerned for them because you know they don't know Christ. And and you're talking to them in the hospital and you're talking to them. And you say, I, I've, I've got to bring this up and I don't want you to get mad at me, but I've got to ask you, you know, if you die, do you know where you're going to go? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. And your heart kind of takes a jump, you know, and skips a beat. And, and you're like, how do you know that? Well, why would you say that? I just got that feeling. Well. I mean, I just, I really, I just feel, I feel so spiritual. He, okay, but what do you mean you feel spiritual? Well, you should know what I'm talking about. You go to church every week. I feel spiritual. We, what, we, what, are we, what are we trying to get to? We want to get back to seeing if their mind, what? Understands. See if they grasp this. And that's what Paul's getting at. So with my mind, I will, with, so I will pray with my mind also. And then he continues on. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So you notice as he goes through different spiritual disciplines and spiritual activities in worship, what, he want, what he's emphasizing is that you never put your brain to the side. You never put your thinking to the side. It's, it's, never, it's never a non-thinking event. It's always that. Now, again, when I say that, I'm not trying to kill emotion. You can have great emotion and think at the same time. That is not impossible. It's like walking and chewing gum. It can be done. But too often what happens is we want to become... It's not that you want to become mindless, but sometimes for us, sometimes we think of thinking as being kind of a heavy, a heavy burden. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a heavy burden. Again, because it's not asking us to think about you know, very difficult, complicated, esoteric questions. It's just, you know... Do you know what Jesus did for you? Do you believe what Jesus did for you? Do you believe that Jesus is just true to His Word? Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah,
0: and and we can move forward. So again, I will sing with, with, um, uh, I will praise in my spirit, but I will also sing with, with my mind also. And then again, he says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So in the context of both praise and prayer, What Paul's concerned with is what others are hearing. And if they don't understand, there's a problem. He goes, how can they give thanks? Because they can't. They they can't do that. They can't say amen. They can't agree with anything you're saying because they don't know what it is. They don't know what's being said. And then in verse 17, he says, for you may be giving thanks. So, yeah, in other words, he's not saying that you're not giving thanks. You might be. You might be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. See, he comes right back to that. You know, when we gather on Sunday evenings, part of our new format is we we share prayer requests, we pray for each other, we also uh, give answers to prayer. And when, when those things take place, you know, that's not just so that the person speaking can feel better about themselves. That is an encouragement for all of us to hear that God has answered prayer. And that God answers prayers in all kinds of ways. And when that takes place, we are being built up. It's just another story, another moment when we are reminded that God does what? Intervene in our lives and cares about us as individuals. And it's a a great thing. Several of us us were able to go help um, Pam and Mo and Alice load up their moving truck. Just not a big deal. It's a big deal if you're a, a woman in your 60s and you're taking care of your husband who's had, had a stroke and you know there's no way on earth you can load a truck like that by yourself, much less in a day. It's a big deal to your really good friend who's also uh, getting up in age who just can't go and you know let's just pick up the mattress and throw it in the, in the back. And they didn't want to be a burden on anyone and so they prayed. They, pray. they asked that the Lord would, you know, and they, were, and they were willing to pay money to get people to come help them. And of course, we got wind of that, and we said, uh, you're not doing that. You don't need to pay anybody. And so people, people came. And so when we, when we ate, which is a good reason to help people, because sometimes food is really good. But anyway, <laughs> when we ate, um, Alice was, was thanking God for the food. And she just launched into how awesome it was that God met their need By this group of people showing up to load this truck and empty their house. And they basically, all they had to do was just kind of watch. And they were thankful. That encourages them and that encourages us. Because sometimes we're part of the answer that God gives. That's what Paul wants to see taking place. It's really not that more complicated than that. That's what it is. And so these individuals who want to say that they're praising God by speaking in tongues or that they're praying by speaking in tongues, if no one else there understands, it is not, at least, it's not the proper exercise of the gift, Because we are discounting what God has created when it comes to the church. And So then Paul says in the end, because, you know, people sometimes might become cynical of Paul. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I don't know how all that took place. All I know is Paul has never lied, and nobody ever wrote a letter saying, yeah, this man's a liar. He doesn't do this. He just says, you know, Paul was pretty formidable. You don't have a whole lot of people trying to argue with Paul or debate him. And he said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's speaking as a man with experience. A man who, the gift that they think, if some of them, really sets you apart and says that, that you are, you know, like the cream of the crop, so to speak. Yeah, Paul says, yeah, I'm on top. Just just so you know, I'm on top of that. But he says, here's here's my approach and here's my attitude. Nevertheless, when it comes to church, when it comes to the body of Christ, I would rather speak only five words. With what? My mind. In order to instruct others than 10,000 words at a time. I really don't think it can be any clearer. And so we need to keep this in mind that what God, and so this is what we learned about this, what God is very concerned about and what's important to God is that you and I understand what he said and what he's done. He cares about every single one of us, whether you are eight years old or 80 years old, he wants you to understand. And he has made sure that he has gifted people in the church people who have the ability to teach, those who have the ability to preach, and and he's done that to make sure that we all can be instructed and understand all that he's given to us in the Word of God. Whether the individual is teaching Sunday school or teaching VBS or preaching from the pulpit or just sharing with the individual one-on-one or praying for each other and sharing prayer requests, in the end, what he wants to see is that all of us are encouraged and built up together. And that's why he's given us these gifts, and that's why he's given us this explanation when we've kind of gone awry with it, to make sure that we are always on track. Because he seeks to bless us with that and through that. And we are blessed with understanding, are we not? Because when I understood the gospel, I turned my life over to Christ, and I am blessed. I am saved. I am forgiven. I know where I'm going. I have greater joy. I have all these things. And that's all because... I understand, and that is an understanding that God is God never even hints that you have to have an IQ of over a certain amount to be able to be blessed in this way. That's immaterial, because again, we we've seen little kids who have very little understanding understand the gospel, and so what we should be what we should walk away with is not only all of these guidelines for. Recognizing how tongues should be used and not used and how, what gifts are for but we should also be encouraged because what this emphasizes to us and that should not be lost on this is that God really is concerned about each and every single individual his church absolutely which is made up of individuals and he truly cares about your mind and my mind and he wants us to use those things I'm so grateful I am so thankful for that and we should be as well And that all of us then have the ability, because we all possess the message. It is, it really is, going back to Romans chapter 1, what is the gospel? It is the power of God to salvation to those who believe. And we know the gospel. Jesus, Son of God, came to earth in human form. Lived a perfect life as a man. God placed on him our sin. He willingly died on the cross for our salvation and forgiveness, was buried and raised again. And I believe that. You know that. I know that. That's the gospel. That is the power of God to salvation to all those who believe. And who are those who believe? Those who understand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace and your love and your kindness. We thank you, Father, again for the teaching of Paul, dealing with this really this difficult problem that they're having in the city of Corinth, a problem, Lord, that that in places exists today. There are those who, who really are seeking you and think that it's a lot more complicated than it might be. And there are those who have stopped seeking you because they think it's much more complicated than it is. And Father, there's this reminder that you care about us, that you love us, and you've gone to all these lengths to ensure that we would understand. Father, all we can do is say thank you. And ask, Lord, that you would burn our hearts for others and help us to realize that this simple message we all have and carry around within us and we can share it with others. I do pray, Father, for those who may not know you and ask, Lord, that they would reexamine their lives and recognize, Lord, that all men who have ever been born have no excuse to deny God. We have no reason because you've done everything that is necessary for us, Father, to be forgiven and to be reconciled to you. We do thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.